Thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming together and studying Your Word. Your Word is the most precious thing we have in this world. And Lord, with that, we know that the Holy Spirit is in us, teaching us and guiding and directing us into all truth. And as we have Your Word, we also have the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That ministry is what we depend on to come to know who You are, Father. So Lord, as we take tonight of Your Word and, and drink deeply of those things which are there, we pray that Your Spirit will guide and direct us, teach us, give us wisdom as we approach the Scripture. We also pray for those who may be joining us by conference and those who may still be arriving. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. We're going to study tonight the baptism of the Spirit. Previously we've been involved in studies related to uh, the spiritual gifts. And uh, we've finished after six lessons spiritual gifts. And I think we covered it, but of, of course there's always more to cover. And, and when I think about all that we did cover, I think, my goodness, did I, we sure did miss a lot in spiritual gifts. There's so much more. But I don't know that we could cover it in such a thorough manner and still keep you know, the lessons to a minimum. Uh, I wanted to really have a, something so that people can pick up and study in their, in their leisure time and something that would be focused. And I think we did that in six lessons and there's a lot to cover. And, there was, and as, as I think about it, there was so much more we did not cover. So I don't want anybody to think that this is the final uh, treatise on spiritual gifts because we've covered and talked about many different aspects of spiritual gifts. Um, here that we did not cover in those six lessons. Can we do it all in one lesson? I don't think so. But at least we have something to start with. If you want to know about spiritual gifts, then what you do is you take those tapes or those uh, recordings and you're able to use that as a, as a foundation. And that will take you uh, so that you can go further. So it's not the end and the last word of, on spiritual gifts. And you should uh, be able to use that. So we, we also covered all the ministry so far. And now we're at this last one, which is the baptism of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that. And we're going to start in the book of Acts. Book of Acts. This is a good place to start. As I was preparing and thinking about, what is this baptism of the Spirit? I started to think about the book of Acts. And I, and I said to myself, what do I see when I'm in the book of Acts? What, what is Now, you know, a lot of people love the book of Acts. Oh, all of the scriptures that they use come from the book of Acts almost. I find that the book of Acts tells what happened, but it does not necessarily give us you know, why this happened. So Acts deals with just is in fact the the uh, title of the book is very appropriate Acts of the Apostles and that's what they did <clears throat> that's what happened 
but it doesn't actually go into the details and explain in detail these doctrines that we want to deal with. So we have to go to other places in Scripture to find out or explain what happens in the book of Acts. We did that with the gift of tongues. We, we saw it in the book of Acts happen, but we had to go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, to really develop it, and what is it, and how is it used, and how should it be used, and what, were they abusing it, etc. So we're, we're, we're going to study the book of, uh, not the whole book, but uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're we're going to deal with this baptism of the Spirit from Acts chapter 1. And uh, you'll see as we go what we're, we're going to deal with. Let's start at verse 4. You should know that these are post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, this gift the Father promised, which... You have heard Christ has already been telling them about this gift. He's telling them now to wait for this gift. Now, if they have to wait for it, that means they didn't already have it. They did not already have it. So when you see, if you skip back to John, which is just a page before, chapter 20. There it is, 2021. So, and Jesus said, Peace be unto you, as the Father hath sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, listen to this, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. This is, um, just to keep this in context, because if he told them to receive it, do you think they received it? They received it. Receive the Holy Spirit. But here in Acts chapter 1 and verse uh, 4, which we just read, it says, do, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. Now this gift the Father promised is not the same that, as Him breathing on them the Holy Spirit. We just need to make sure that that is settled. Can it be? It's something that hadn't been given yet. If He's telling them to wait for it, that means they had, don't have it. Is that right? Yeah. So what did, what, what did they have? Uh, what, what is it the Holy Spirit they had the Holy Spirit but in what way he was only uh, given to them in the same way he gave the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit was in, would come upon people for, for certain purposes we said prophets, priests, kings God would put his spirit upon a person for a certain purpose and, and that's what they did here in Acts and Jesus did because they were distraught and Jesus was leaving and they had a time to wait before he left. So he gave them this Holy Spirit. So back to Acts. Just make sure people know that what happened here in Acts is unique. It did not happen in the Old Testament. Did not. And there's another place. Because we're, we're, we're looking up now where it says, this is Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Where he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So if you've heard Christ speak about it, it must be somewhere in the, uh, in the, in the um, Gospels. 
I know John chapter 7. Hold your finger on Acts because we will be back and you're going to need to move quickly with me. So John chapter 7 and verse 39, you know, he says this. And this is after this, you know, where he speaks in a loud voice. Let's go back to 37, 737. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Now look at verse 39, the commentary on that. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not been glorified. So now, there's a time when Jesus talks about the Spirit, and then John is commenting on that to let us know that up to this time, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been yet glorified. Then we can go over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verse 15 says if you love me you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father right, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him but it, because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you will be in you I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any longer. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. See, so there he promises the Holy Spirit. He will give the Holy Spirit. And how does he, what does he talk about? He says, I will send you another comforter. What do you mean another? Another of the same kind, just like me. Well, Jesus was a comfort to them and he was going away, but he's going to send another comforter. And who is it? The Spirit of Truth. So, but in John chapter 16, again, we have, look at 5, 16, 5. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these, these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, and it tells what he will do, he will convict the world of sin, we know. Uh, but go on to verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, notice he is expected to come, Jesus is promising that he will come, what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come and he will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take what is mine and make it known to you. Notice that the Spirit will be the agent of revealing God's mystery to us. Because remember, the mystery is that we're united to Christ and that everything that Christ has, we have. And, and it's the Spirit's job to reveal that information to us. He will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So these are all promises of Christ that the Holy Spirit was going to be given. It was going to be given to all of us. 
So go back to the book of Acts. We will develop this a little more. Chapter 1 and verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Now you know, how many times have we read that verse? Just five times tonight we have read that verse. Why do we do it five times? And guess what? Every time we go over, we're getting more and more information, aren't we? See, when you read the Bible, you need to sometimes mull over it. You need to go over and over. That's why we go over these verses, and as we're going over them together, you'll see that we'll just traverse over them. Go back and read that again, and go back and read that again, until we get what God is trying to say. Don't just read over it. Don't just carelessly read the Bible. God is really telling you something. He has something to tell you. You've got to get it. So we take our time to read what is there. It's important that we do. It's key. So let's look at this. Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait. And I like what the King James says. Tarry. Tarry. That just means to wait. And what is it? What do you, what, did he tell you what to do while you're waiting? He just said wait, didn't he? A lot of people are doing all these different things thinking they're tarrying. But for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. We read where he spoke about it previous to this. Here it is, verse 5. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that the Father has promised. Now we're going to find that that gift entails a lot of different things. Not just the baptism of the Spirit. Because we know from reading John chapter 16 where it says that the Counselor would come and it talks about some of the things the Counselor would do. He would guide us into all truth. He will not speak of Himself. Whatever He speaks, He will make no, take from me and make it known to you, etc. That's a part of the filling of the Spirit, the teaching ministry of the Spirit. But that's coming along with what is happening here, what is called the baptism of the Spirit. So John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now what do you think is greater? Water baptism or spirit baptism? Spirit. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty evident, isn't it? But you know what? A lot of people don't think that. Notice what is the key. John baptized with water. <laughs> But you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's special. And you think being baptized with the Holy Spirit is with water? Would that follow? In the context? I mean, we're just pulling all this stuff out of this one little passage. No. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not being baptized with water. Now, is John's baptism with water? Absolutely. John baptized with water. But... In contrast to what John did, you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I would say that that is not water baptism. You ought to know that. So this baptism that we're going to, we, we will get and we'll read about when it comes and the, the results of it, I just want you to know that this promise has to do with more than the baptism. It has to do with the indwelling of the Spirit. It has to do with the filling of the Spirit has to do with the, the, the baptism of the Spirit, the sealing of the Spirit. All these ministries that we have been talking about uh, came 
at one point in time in the book of Acts. And so we're focused on the baptism right now, but we should know that they were indwelt, filled, sealed, baptized, all this, and gifted by means of the Spirit. When did it all happen? It happened at Pentecost. So we've read all the different promises. Wait, wait, and not only that, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. Christ is not on the earth. I've listened to some ministers say they have seen Christ. Well, if they have seen Christ, I'm surprised because Christ said he would go away. Now, if he's going, and then he says, if I don't go away, the, com- the comforter will not come to you. So they're saying, no, he didn't go away, he's still here. He, he can make appearances anytime he gets ready. It seems like what he's saying is that either he, if he's in heaven, he will send the comforter. The comforter is going to, what will he do? He will remind you of things I said. He will, he will speak of me. He will, it is the age of the, the, this ministry where the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ in our hearts. It is, we are not seeing Christ personally. So let's go forward. Six. Six. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, when are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he gives them this answer. It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So now we have another aspect of power. In, in relationship to the, this, whatever they're going to have when the, the promise that is given them is met. The, so we've already said you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We saw some of the other results. But now he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then it says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. These are all Jewish areas. Jerusalem and Judea are areas where uh, the most concentration of Jews would have been. And then Samaria is an area where, uh, well, there was a a rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews did not accept anything from the Samaritans at all. They they thought that they were just false. And they were worshipping according to their own uh, understanding. Jesus brings that out in John chapter 4. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, Jesus says. Which tells us that they were not on the right track. Uh, so, But they were going to be witnesses, witnesses in Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. Everywhere. We're in uh, Acts chapter 1. And we're at verse... I think we just finished verse 8. So these, this, these are things that the Spirit would come on people, they would have power. What, what do you mean power? Authority. And this authority would allow them to go out in the, in the authority of the person of Christ and speak and be witnesses. Because if you're a witness, what, what, what is that? You are telling what you know. You're telling what you have seen. That's what a witness is. So now, let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let's see. When all this happened, well, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole story. I guess you can read that, where they were all in, you know, say stay, they, they had a vote, we, we lost an apostle, now who should we vote, let's draw straws. Matthias is the one who was voted as the 12th apostle, and they went through this whole thing. 
really Paul was the twelfth apostle, that God had his own choice there. And then in chapter 2, we have, um, where are uh, 2-1, when the day of Pentecost came. Pentecost was a Jewish feast, and they, um, uh, they would all come. It was a pilgrimage feast. All the Jews from everywhere would come to Jerusalem at, at, on Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Remember, it was a feast. All the Jews would come from other places all over the world to come to Jerusalem. It was... Um, you were supposed to do that once in your life. Two, suddenly a sound like a blowing or of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, remember, where we said that the promise is not just the baptism of the Spirit, but the baptism of the Spirit is used to characterize the entire promise. Right? Just like we might say the law, but then we might be talking about the law and the prophets. We use that term to characterize the whole Old Testament. In the same way, when they talk about, when we read, you wait for the gift of the, the you John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Notice the filling is here. This is what I was trying to emphasize to you before that more is in, in the package of the Holy Spirit than just the baptism. So it says, each of them were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit uh, enabled them. Now this, and so another, there's another ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues. Right? The Spirit gives gifts. That's another thing he does. We covered spiritual gifts in the last six lessons. So five. There, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews. Notice who's there. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Wow. They were from all over the place. And it begins to, to um, talk about some of the places where they were later. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So the gift of tongues is actually being used here to get their attention. Now these Jews, are they believers in Christ? No, they're not believers in Christ. They're just Jews. And what, what, what is interesting is that, they, remember, why did, um, did God give the gift of tongues? Through the lips of foreigners and, and through strange tongues will I speak to this people. Now, the first time they give the gift of tongues, what, what do you have? God is doing just that. He is speaking to those people. Now, he goes on and he tells, uh, it says, oh, these people must be drunk, this and that. And then he says, um, uh, how is it, look at verse 8. Then, how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Tongues is the actual language. They didn't hear gibberish. Uh, some people have said that they heard um, that they just spoke in some language, unintelligible, but God the Holy Spirit does a miracle and transform on their ears so that they only, you know, they speak one thing, but God the Holy Spirit divides it out. And now he heard Spanish, he heard French, he heard Portuguese, whatever. And, but that's not it. Who has the gift of tongues? These believers do. And they have the ability to speak in another language. God, the, the gift of tongues is not God the Holy Spirit giving you the ability to hear 
that's not it at all. So that's what they've done. They've turned that around. But then it says, and how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? That's because they all had these different languages that were distributed to them. Parthians, verse 9, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and all parts of Libya, and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, our own languages. That's what we hear. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? And it's interesting, we should be that they should have been asking, What does this mean? Because guess what? Remember in Isaiah, it is supposed to be a sign to them, isn't it? And sure enough, that's what they should be asking. Some, however, made fun of them and said they have too much wine. Now, isn't that interesting? Too much wine, too much wine. Isn't that a very interesting thing? Because right back in Isaiah, remember, what was the problem? The whole nation had turned into drunkards, remember? Isn't <laughs> interesting here? They said, well, some of them made fun and said they had too much wine. It's very telling of what happened in Isaiah 14. Then Peter stood up in the, uh, with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow what? Gentiles? Jews. And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you, listen to me carefully what I say. And then he goes and tells them they're not drunk. But what I want you to do is see where he begins to deal with in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you and miraculous wonders and signs. God did among you through him. And you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, who is he talking to? You, he's pointing to him, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep hold on him. David said it about him. Uh, I'm not going to quote what David said. Okay, look at verse 36. Skip down to verse 36. Therefore, he's preaching to him all this time, right? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. These Jews were part of the problem. They, they were probably in that crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Well, what made the difference? The sign that God had given them. This miraculous sign of these languages, just like God had told it in Isaiah, that he would warn the people using this sign. And then it says, the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Why? Because they were guilty. And said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? We've committed such a horrendous crime. Horrible. And Peter tells them what to do. Repent. And be baptized, everyone. And you know what? That, to me, is the grace of God. That these can be the very people who crucified Christ. Who, who were shouting, kill him, crucify him, we don't care. Get rid of him. He's an imposter. And then, God turns around and forgives those people. That's grace. It doesn't get any better than that. Can you imagine if you were the one in the crowd yelling, crucify him? 
And Paul was on that side. I mean, I was a persecutor of uh, the church. And he, he, he continued to feel how grateful he was for God actually forgiving him. And not only that, making him an apostle. He persecuted the church. These people were cut to the heart. And they cried out, what should we do? Peter says, repent. What do you do now? Change your mind. What does repent mean in this context? You, you formerly hated Christ. You formerly were on the other side. Change your mind about Christ. And believe in Him. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or remission of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, this gift, he's saying, here's what to do. Here's, here's how you do it. And, and then you will be included in the salvation package. Not only this, and it says, well, look, this promise is for you and your children. What promise? All that we talked about, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. With What is that? All those ministries, the filling, the sealing, the baptism, the gifts distributed of, uh, you know, among the believers according to His will. So here we have the baptism of the Spirit being described for us. Now it doesn't necessarily teach us what the baptism of the Spirit does. Because remember, Acts doesn't give us a detailed explanation of things. It just tells us what happened. So now if we want a detailed explanation, we need to go to passages in the Scripture that explain what the baptism of the Spirit is. What it does. What it's for. All of that. So you don't even get the purpose for tongues from here. You just see what happened. Well, they began to speak in tongues. They heard them speaking in other tongues. What's it for? We don't know. We've got to go read the rest of the Scripture to see. So now, what happened? How do we know that this same baptism... I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11, where here we find the, what we call the Gentile Pentecost. The Gentile Pentecost, where Gentiles receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The whole thing starts in chapter 10 where Peter is at Caesarea and, and, and or so forth. No, actually, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius. There's a Gentile. A centurion and he was known as the Italian Regiment. But we're not going to talk about Cornelius at this point. We're going to skip down because hopefully you've read this story. It's actually repeated in Acts chapter 11 where Peter and God in, intervenes in Peter's life and this Gentile's life and he brings them together so that Peter can give them the gospel. Once Peter gives them the gospel, they hear and they believe in Christ and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And as evidence that they have uh, the same gift, because remember these are Gentiles, Peter would not even associate with the Gentiles. Or the Jews would not associate with Gentiles. God had to demonstrate this through signs, wonders, and miracles that this in fact is of God. Gentiles are included in the body of Christ. So we have that story and uh, they would not believe it. I want to skip to 11. 11 one, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Uh, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of an uncircumcised man and, and ate with them, Peter? How could you? That's unthinkable. 
You ate with them? You went into their house? Unbelievable! Why would you do such a thing? Peter began to explain to everyone, or to everything, to them precisely as it has happened. Right? I was in the city of Joppa praying. He goes through the whole thing all over again, which we're not going to go through. And the Lord had showed him this man, you know, sheet let down with all these unclean beasts and etc. So he's telling all these Jews this. Then. Um, Look at verse 15, 11:15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had come on us at the beginning. Now what do we mean at the beginning? The beginning of what? The be- Acts, where Jesus, when, when they were in the room, the, the Holy Spirit filled each one of them and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right. He came on us at the beginning. Verse 16. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why is Peter bringing this up now? Because the Gentiles were also baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's the same experience, Peter's saying. That happened to us as happened to them. That's how we have to see this. So, verse 17, Peter draws a conclusion from all of this. So, if God gave them the same gift, what do you mean the same gift? The the, the whole package of the Holy Spirit. Not only were they filled, baptized, had gifts, just like the Jews did. Guess what? If they didn't have all of that, those other Jews would not have been convinced that God was in it. So, God had to do the same thing with signs, wonders, miracles. Same thing. If you read chapters... 7 and 8 of Acts, you find the same thing happening to Samaritans. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They would not believe that the Samaritans could be in the body of Christ until Paul and, and went there with another and laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. See? And so God did special miracles to, to unite the body of Christ. And we said that before, that that was the purpose of the miracles for the common good. So, if God gave them the same gift as He gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, uh, who was I to think that I could oppose God? He, Peter was thinking that he could oppose God. But he quickly came to his senses after he made a quick, uh, rational judgment based on the facts. He said, wait a minute. If they got the Holy Spirit in the same way we got it, then I can no longer maintain this attitude of opposition toward these Gentiles. We've got to let them in. <laughs> if God is showing no distinction among them, then we should not. Aren't you all glad that they made that decision? <laughs> you could now be included in the church. Well, you know what? God included him in the church. He included Gentiles in the church. It didn't matter what these uh, Jews would have thought. And even if they, and, and some of them still were not convinced. As you continue to read Acts, you will find that there are still some Jews who were maintaining the law and all these other things false. And yet, the church survived. But if it were not for these things, these signs, wonders, miracles, this baptism of the Spirit, all these different things, they would not have believed it. So this is interesting to, to think about as we go forward because now we see that all this is associated and there's more examples of the Holy Spirit being... I told you Acts 8 and there's Acts chapter 19. There's some more 
where the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, not everybody who received the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. You can read through uh, Acts and see for see for yourself. Look at the three thousand, the the Jews in Acts. It didn't say they spoke in tongues at all. It just says that they were baptized. So now we need to understand. Then once we have an uh, an idea what this baptism is, we we need to dig directly into what is the baptism of the Spirit. What does it do for you? Now, we should note that it never happened to anybody in the Old Testament. Never did. Not even once. Never. How do we know? We've read the Scripture. And they had to wait for it. When did it come? It came on the day of Pentecost. And it was in the morning on that day, we know, because it was early. So we never happened in the Old Testament. This is unique. All these gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ministries of the Holy Spirit came as unique gifts. They are part of our heritage, what, what belongs to us as assets. For instance, we talked about all the things, a regeneration happened to everybody. But we are not all born again into the same inheritance. All of us can be born again, but not into the same inheritance. Israel, were, they were born into a different inheritance than we have. But now, so common and efficacious grace, God would minister to people's hearts. He would enlighten them according to you know the gospel so that they could believe in Christ whatever age they were in uh, regeneration the indwelling never happened to anybody in the Old Testament never did it happen ever even once the filling of the Spirit never happened to anybody even though in the Old Testament the Spirit would come upon people this ministry of the Spirit where it says they will be filled did not happen until Pentecost then there's the sealing we talked about that that never happened the baptism of the Spirit never happened. These gifts never happened to anybody in the Old Testament. This is all unique, unprecedented. So we need to figure out then, what is this baptism of the Spirit? Who gets it? Some and not others? Is it the baptism? Well, first of all, do we need to wait to get the baptism of the Spirit now? Do we need to wait? Why not? Mm-hmm. Well, um, once he, he says once he leaves, he would send the comforter. right? So they had to wait, right? Because there was a time gap in there where they were. he says, wait here at Jerusalem until the comforter comes. And when he comes, then you do this and that. So there was a time period where they had to wait. There was no spirit, no Holy Spirit in the way he was in this age because they, there was still a gap. So when the Holy Spirit did come, do we still have to wait for Him? He's already here. Right? Is that, that seem clear? Because you know, you're going to run into somebody and guess what they're going to be doing? Waiting for the Holy Spirit. That's what they're doing. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're waiting for it. They read Acts and they said, see, it says, wait. We need to wait. And they're waiting. I'm just trying to make sure that you can sort these things out and, and have an answer so that they, you can explain to them that no, we, we no longer need to wait for the Holy Spirit. He's already here. When did He come? He came at Pentecost. We can read that in the Bible too. So we don't need to wait. And just go back to Acts. There's one last chapter. Acts chapter 10. I just want you to see this. This is important in the understanding. Okay. 
Acts chapter 10, we'll start at verse 44. Remember, remember, Peter is giving a message, right? He's given this message to these Gentiles. Now, I want you to see the, the, the series, the sequence of events here. The chronological order of events. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's given them the gospel. Look at this. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Verse 45. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on, out even on the Gentiles. Can you believe that? They were amazed. For how, how come they knew this? For they heard them speaking with tongues and praising God. So had they not heard them, would they have believed it? Absolutely not. They wouldn't have believed it at all. So then Peter said, Now, is this the baptism of the Spirit we're talking about? This is the baptism of the Spirit, isn't it? How do we know? Because Peter says later, Hey, I remember. As soon as I began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit came on them as He had on us at the beginning. We read that already in 11.15. So here, then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they believed. How do we know they believed? How do we know? Go back to 11.16, where he says, Then I remember what the Lord said, John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as He gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, notice, who believed. These people had to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order for them to receive the gift. Same thing he told the Jews. What should we do? Repent, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. So now, these people had to believe in Christ, because Peter was giving them the gospel. That's in fact what he was doing. And what's the chronological event? What happened next? Um, it says, then Peter said, this is uh, verse 47, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? So there's two baptisms here, isn't it? They're already baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's the gift he's talking about. And then there's another baptism with water. Now look, the water comes after the Spirit baptism, doesn't it? Yeah, they're already saved the moment they believed in Christ. Now he's saying, I don't have any reason to, to not let them into the church or, or to, to hinder them. They got the same gift as we had. They're saved just like we are. They got the same package as we have. So then he says, well, go ahead and baptize them then. This is water baptism. Now what do you think is more important here? Spirit baptism or water baptism? Spirit. spirit. What if you think, what if they hadn't received the spirit baptism but they got the water? You think that, that wouldn't have meant nothing. See, so the water baptism is supposed to teach what happens on the inside of you. You were baptized by the Spirit. The water represents that. Now, next time when we talk, we will actually get into the water baptism, or the, the Spirit baptism, and how the water baptism is representative of that. What happens when you are baptized by the Holy Spirit? Now, if you'd like to um, catch up on me and read a little bit ahead of me, you can read, you can start reading Romans chapter 6.
Romans chapter 6. That deals with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We will get into it uh, next week. We can't continue this week because it's, uh, our time is over. But this, this way we can pause for five minutes and ask if there are any questions related to anything we've covered. Any questions? Can you explain uh, Acts 10, 11? Acts chapter 10, verse 11 says, I saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth and by, it four, by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Okay, this is a vision Peter has. He was in Joppa praying, and he has a vision. God, he's on a rooftop, and God gives him a vision. And then in this vision, it seems as if heaven is opened up, and this is a sheet. Just imagine a sheet coming down out of heaven. And then when Peter begins to see, well, I guess he's wondering, what is in the sheet? The sheet begins to unfold and open up. And what's inside the sheet? All manner of unclean, four-footed beasts. Now, Jews were, were uh, uh, restricted from having anything to do with unclean animals. They weren't to touch them. They weren't to eat them. You know. But Gentiles, could they, they ate anything and everything they ever wanted to eat. So when it says that this... Let's continue to read, and Peter will tell us. A large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained... All kinds of four-footed animals, as were, uh, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Verse 13, now watch this. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is, for a Jew, this is taboo. This is verboten. Verse 14, Surely not, Lord. Now, Peter was always in the... Uh, telling the Lord no, wasn't he? He was always telling the Lord what he wasn't going to do. And here again, he's saying, Peter, we know this is the same one in the Gospels because he has the same attitude. He's, he doesn't just say, I don't think so, Lord. He says, surely not. I'm never going to do that, Peter re replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Never would I do such a thing. I think God gave the right person this vision. He really needed this lesson. The voice, and then he says, the voice spoke to him a second time. Listen to what he says. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And guess what this did? This, you know, I read this so many times. I'm glad you brought this out. This happened, look how many times? Three times. Three times and immediately the sheet was taken back up. What happened? three times. What do you think it was that happened three times? Think about it. What, what, what did we just read? The sheet came down. God says, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter says, oh no, Lord, I'll never eat anything. So what happens? The sheet is taken back up. It comes back down again. And God says, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. Peter says, uh-uh, I'm never going to eat anything. You know, it's just like when God told Peter, um, Peter, feed my sheep. Remember it happened three times? After the third time, what did Peter say? Lord, you know I love you. <laughs> Peter, you love us now, me? Then feed my sheep. After the third time, he was exasperated. And he says, uh, you know I love you. 
And, and so God was telling him, you know, trying to send a message to get through to Peter. And here he was trying to send a message to Peter. Peter didn't get it. It had to take three times for Peter to get that. You see that? We talk about somebody stubborn. I'm telling you, if Peter made it, I can make it. I can make it. You know what I mean? Think about this. Let me read it again. You guys didn't... Let me read it three times. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So he says in verse 11, He saw heaven open and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. This happened three times. You would think after the first time, Peter would have got it. No. Same thing happened all over again. Peter, get up. Kill and eat. No, oh no, Lord. The third time, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Oh, no, Lord. So finally, Peter must have got it. I don't think he still got it because he was just as surprised when he went to those Gentiles and, and they believed in Christ and heard the Holy, and got the Holy Spirit. He was just as surprised because that's why he says, how could I continue to oppose God? If I saw him get the same gift, how could I continue to hold on to that? Couldn't. Had to let him in after that. See, Peter was telling you that he was stubborn. See, we don't understand the tension, the racial prejudice that existed in the church. We just don't see it. Was God tempting him? Is that what... uh, Tempting him? Oh, he was was using Peter to go to these Gentiles. Because if you continue to read down, he, he was giving him this vision so that Peter would go out and, and welcomed these Gentiles into the church. He was using Peter as a witness to go to them. And because if you continue to read, right, he says, um, he says, well, look at verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. So did he get it? No, he still didn't get it. Right? Let me continue. Hold on. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. So God was working on both sides of this thing. He was working with the Gentiles. He was, work, he was going to make them, get them to meet. They called out asking if Simon, who was known by Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision. I wonder what that means. <laughs> the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are at the door, are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now he, he doesn't know these are Gentiles. He doesn't even have a clue. So Peter went down, said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? What, what, what do you need? What are you doing here? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, and we don't have a hold on. I want you to read the story. It's an interesting story. But I want you to go ahead and read it for yourself so you can get an understanding of what was happening. So then he eventually goes with these men to the house, to the Gentiles' house, is where he goes in and sits with them and so forth. And that's when all we read comes into play. He had his own ideas about what, how things would, would play out. And Christ had to continually check him uh, over and over. He did it through... Um, he said, Peter... Before morning comes, you're going to deny me three times. 
Um, he did it again here in Acts. You see where he did it. But Peter was the hero in Acts chapter 2. He preached that sermon. He straightened those guys out, man. All, but they were Jews, though. They were Jews. He has a test here where he fails. Because in my opinion, he, he is against. He has no clue. He will not allow God to lead him. He's arrogant. That's true of every arrogant person. God wants to show them something, but they are going their own way. So that's what we have to think about with, when it comes to humility. Just be flexible. Whatever God wants us to do, let's go ahead and do it. You know, Get off this thing about who we know. We know. We don't know. Peter thought he knew he didn't know. And just allow God to teach us. Show us what He wants us to know. And once we see what the Word says, it's so simple. It's the simplest thing. It's just that we've complicated it by what we've put on to it. We've got all these preconceived notions and opinions and ideas and hunches. And every time we read a verse, we plug all that in. Let that go. Unplug and just allow God to teach. So that's what Peter did. Yep, even here. And then in Galatians... He continues to act out with racial, racial prejudice. Paul comes in and straightens him out. So Peter had a lot of problems, even after. But later, let me tell you, you can talk about Peter all you want to, but Peter reached maturity. Peter was one who would be glorified when Christ comes. He said as much. He understood. He knew that something was waiting for him. He knew he had finished his course. And he left a legacy for us to follow. And uh, we have a great testimony in the Apostle Peter. He was a great man. Even though I'm talking about him like this, believe me, he was a great apostle. He was a pillar of the church. But guess what? God used ordinary people. And you get most of that in what chapter? Um, what, 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 uh, what book? Most of what? Uh, where Peter kind of like became the church. When he wakes up, when he, first and second Peter. Well, we, we find, yeah, you read his books in First and Second Peter, and you find that God used him to write those two books, which are fantastic. And you see his maturity, and you see where he's coming from. You get to understand that, yes, he did turn the corner. Yes, he did finally get it. But here, in Acts, he was pretty, uh, he was learning. He was learning. And I can identify with that. I can think in t of times in my life when uh, I don't want to talk about them anymore. Yeah, I was learning too. Go right, go right ahead, Tamika. No, if you're finished, I have a question. Go right ahead, yeah. Um, it's in the Old Testament, Job 33, 16. Job, Job 33. And my question was, does that speak? Job 33 and 16. Job 33, 16. It says, um, I'll go to 15, in a dream and a vision of the night when deep sleep falls upon men as they slumber in their beds. He may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings. Uh, and you're saying, is that still going on today? Can God still do that? Uh, well, can God? Well, first of all, let's not limit God. God can do anything He wants to do. I don't. I don't put a gate on what God can and cannot do. Certainly wouldn't. But what I do is, I would like to use God's own testimony about what He does, and that can give us some parameters 
or even limits to what he does. For instance, we could read a verse that says, um, God cannot lie. So I wouldn't expect to read later on that he lied somewhere. You know, and it, you know. So I, I, God limits Himself when He says He cannot lie. It means He's not going to lie, and He's not going to ch- reverse that. He, he cannot. He can put limits on what He does. So I would say that you, when we look at the revelation of God in the Old Testament, uh, a good example would be um, the Book of Hebrews, where in Hebrews chapter one, hold your finger there. We'll come back to it. See, and we, don't, we want to give um, Hebrews chapter 1. We'll, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll go back to what I wanted to say. Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, and in the past here is a reference to Old Testament. Okay, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And that would include dreams, visions, audibly, Right? And he would do signs, wonders. He would, he would use, he would reveal, he even use angels to come and speak to people to teach them. So he did speak to his people in the Old Testament various ways, many different times. But then it says, "But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son." So now, let's give it a contrast. So here he, he, he revealed him. And really, when it says he spoke to us, it means he revealed himself. And anytime God speaks, he doesn't really waste words in the sense that, you know, uh, you wonder, hey, should I go across the street or should I not? And then we're looking for a word from God to tell us, oh, go across the street. You know, that's, that's not a, an example of how God works. His revelation is to a perp- for a purpose, for his purpose. And his purposes are to reveal himself to man. And he has a particular message that he's trying to get across to man. He, it may be a prophet. If, if it's dealing with his prophets, he may speak directly to the prophets. And they may have the benefit of direction in life. You, we, we just saw in Peter's life how God the Holy Spirit directed him. Now, Peter, I want you to go downstairs now. Peter, you know, he was having a vision. We just talked about the you know, but there was a purpose in all of that. What was God trying to accomplish? So we always want to ask ourselves that. Uh, and so in the Old Testament, God did speak at various times in various ways. But guess what? Something greater than that is on the horizon. And that is the Son. The Son is greater. So, in other words, God gave much revelation in the Old Testament. What is He doing with that revelation? Revealing Himself. Because without that, nobody would even know about who God was. And God is invisible. And He has to come and enter into time and space and be able to interact with us who are body and soul. So He does that and here's all the ways He does it. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In other words, when He sent Jesus Christ and He was in Christ, that is the greatest revelation of God, bar none, to the entire world. It eclipses everything that could possibly ever have been or will be. Jesus Christ is the greatest revelation of God. So now, here, all that happens in the New Testament is under Christ. Under Christ. So all the revelation that he had in the Old Testament um, does not even hold a candle to what Jesus... It's like a candle to the sun. 
So now, would you hold the candle up when you have the sun? No, once the sun comes off, you don't need the candle. We've got the sun. We see a whole lot more now. And that's what Jesus Christ has brought us. So I'm not saying that God can't give still direct the church or that He didn't come in with prophecies in the church and gifts. But those gifts, prophecies and knowledge and wisdom that He gave to direct people were for a specific purpose. And it was His purposes that He was trying to accomplish through revelation. And uh, so yes... Yes, that, that happened, and, but we now have something so much greater. Uh, the Bible says that God is building a building, and, he, and in that building, the foundation of it is apostles, prophets, with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Now, every one of those that I just mentioned, apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ, all were miraculous in and of themselves. Apostles had all the sign gifts, miracles, signs, wonders, healing. Jesus Christ had all those sign gifts, miracles, signs, wonders, healing, and prophecy. Prophets were hearing messages from God about future events and so forth. All of this established the church. And now we stand on that revelation right now. In fact, we have the Bible completed, the New Testament canon, and all the doctrines related to the mystery, which is how we live our lives, because of those gifts that God has given us. So now, what do we do? Do we look for more revelation or do we stand on the revelation that God has established? How did He establish that revelation? How do we know that God spoke to those people? Signs, wonders, miracles that He gave to demonstrate that I'm God and I'm giving that person this gift. You ought to respect what He's saying. So these things were written down for us and we have them in writing. So no, no greater revelation can we have. So the fact that we have this in writing far supersedes. We're, we're even literate, where some people in ages, they couldn't even read. Couldn't even read a lick. <laughs> you talk about reading, go, go to 1 Corinthians. What? No 1 Corinthians. All they heard was what people told them and what they knew from God through His prophets and His priests. So, so, so now, the fact that we now have the revelation of God in writing that God has Himself authenticated by signs, wonders, and miracles far supersedes anything. You know, if somebody comes up with a dream, sign, wonder, and they tell me, the Lord gave me a dream, or the Lord gave me this prophecy, the Lord said that. You know what I'm wondering? What, what is it that you're trying to establish? The Word is already, God has already given us the full revelation in Christ right here. And what is it that you are trying to tell me? Different. you got to be careful. I just want to read this last verse. Because here's where Satan gets in the picture. Because God has already established His Word. But now, Satan says, well, I can use this signs, wonders, and miracles thing to trick people. I can trick people from this. In 1 Thessalonians, we find that that is exactly what Satan is up to. Let's read it. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, now let's just read it from the top. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be easily unsettled and alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Notice, some people were running around saying what the Lord has said when the Lord has not spoken. 
They even were writing things that the Lord had not written or had written, and yet they were people were upset by it. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, he's talking about this, the second coming, or the rapture actually, will not come until the rebellion and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, even though this hasn't happened yet, we should know that this is how Satan works. Remember we were talking about we are not ignorant of his devices or his wiles? Well, because we can see what he's up to, right? So he says, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is what happens when a man of sin comes, or lawlessness. Who is that? The beast. He's the same one that we read about in Revelation. So this, this one, he's going to set himself up as God. He wants to be worshipped. So people think Satan wants to go out and kill your babies, wreak havoc, run cars off the road, you know, all these bad things. Whatever's bad, Satan. That's what people say. But this man is one, when it says lawlessness, he is against God's law. He is against God. He is trying to get people to worship him though. He wants to be their God. He sits in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. Notice that. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. How's he going to do that? Look at this verse 5. Do you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Paul warned them about these things. And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. He's not here yet, this man of lawlessness. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. Right? In other words, the, the same attitude and atmosphere that the uh, Antichrist will have is here now. But he's not here now. Where does the Antichrist get this power from? Satan, as we will see. But the one who now holds him back will continue to hold, do so until he is taken out of the way. That's the God, the Holy Spirit, who is here now. When, he, when, when the rapture occurs... The Holy Spirit will leave the earth and we will with Him. And then, verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed. That's in the tribulation. Whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of His mouth and destroy by the splendor of His coming. That's Revelation 19. You can read about it. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. See this work of Satan? Remember we talked about and the spirit of the lawless one is already here now. Well, what does that mean? That's the work of Satan is even influenced. The lawless one's not revealed yet until the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way. But notice this, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed. How, how, what is the work of Satan? Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Notice, he's trying to establish his message just like God established his. But what, what kind of miracles is he using? Counterfeit. I'm depending on what the Word says. I know that this Word was established and revealed by God. I know it. How did I know? He, did, he demonstrated it through signs, wonders, and miracles. And those were not counterfeit miracles. Those were real miracles. Attested to not only by those who follow Christ, but His enemies. So I know that this Word that we have in front of us can be trusted is real. Now we got to be careful. So look, Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil 
And what's the purpose of this? That deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. What is the, what is the truth? Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So people who are not depending on the word, guess what that means? You're susceptible to being deceived by these counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. So we know that there could be false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. It says that as much as in John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, did not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. What do you mean the spirits? For as many false prophets have gone out into the world. So when he says these spirits, he's talking about false prophets out there. You've got to be careful. How do you know? Well, the only thing you can do to know for sure is depend on what God has revealed. What we know to be true and cannot be moved. The Word of God. So we got to close. I know it's late. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the thoughts that you have given us in your Word. We're so glad, Lord, that as we go through the Word that we are able to come to uh, concrete understanding about things. And you've given us something that we can depend on. Your Word as an anchor of our soul that we can trust to be steadfast and sure. We thank you, Father, as you have preserved it, even here in 2006, where many people are discarding the Word and not believing and trusting or living by faith, but by sight. We know that you have preserved it, and we can depend. So, Lord, we thank you for each person who has come. We pray your blessings upon all of us, Father. Motivate us to learn and study your Word. Motivate us, Lord, to develop a burning desire to know more about you. So we thank you, Father, for those who have come. And we ask that as we close that we will be challenged by what we've heard. In Christ's name, amen. amen.